Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Many expressions in scripture point to the end time, sometimes called the last days or the last hour. The various expressions are all related to the creative, redemptive program of God. And on the program today, we are going to focus on the nations that are mentioned in Bible prophecy, world leaders making decisions that are going to fulfill God's program. Well, let's get started, Rick, because we have our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, a new broadcast partner, a Navy SEAL, Winky Madad, R.C. Merle, plus our legacy series, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, beginning a new series in the book of Daniel. Well, let's get started with our first Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Ken Timmerman with us. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs. He's an author and analyst. He joins us every week to talk about what's going on around the world. You can find out more about him, the books that he has written, and read his blog. Sign up for his newsletter by going to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, let's get started real quick. We've got a lot of stuff to get to around the world, and we'll start with this situation that took place between Iran and Pakistan. Can you explain to us what's going on there? Well, very interesting that uh, the Iranians are firing missiles into Pakistan against groups that they claim have launched attacks against Iran. Uh, This happens from time to time, Rick. It's not new. These kind of tit-for-tat strikes, the Iranian strike inside Pakistan against Sunni extremist groups, and then the Pakistani strike inside Iran against Shiite extremist groups that are blowing up things inside Pakistan. But this time it's kind of different because neither side really blamed the other. And within an hour of these attacks, you had the Iranian foreign minister and the Pakistani foreign minister kind of yucking it up together at an international diplomatic confab and uh, really no condemnation from one side or another. I wonder whether these were not actually coordinated to a certain extent that the Iranians helped Pakistan by getting by attacking this group that the Pakistanis are worried about. And the Pakistanis probably went after a group inside Iran that the Iranians were worried about. But we'll see how it plays out. But the interesting thing is there has been no you know, strong condemnation of one side or the other. Now, that's not all the Iranians have done this week. They've also launched missile strikes against what they call a Mossad headquarters in Iraqi Kurdistan in northern Iraq. Uh, in Erbil, a place that I know very, very well. I've been there many times. And I don't know whether it was a Mossad headquarters or not, but it was pretty close to a U.S. military facility uh, in Erbil. And the Iranians are just showing that we own this area. And that, I think, is something that they have been very, very careful about uh, to make sure that the United States in particular, but Israel also, understands that they are a force to be reckoned with. Well, they certainly are. And all the news that we have been talking about, whether it be Hamas or Hezbollah or even the Houthis, these are all Iranian-backed proxies. It kind of emphasizes the fact that we're not necessarily worried or at war with these proxies, but we're essentially at war with Iran, aren't we? Well, we are at war with Iran. We're not calling it that. Uh, But the Iranians understand that. They've understood that for the past 40 years that they're at war with the United States. Uh, You know, that's why they call us the great Satan and Israel the little Satan. Uh, But they use proxies. That's the way, their way of uh, war fighting. So they use Hezbollah in Lebanon. They use Hamas against Israel. They use these groups in Syria and they use uh, groups inside Iraq. Now, interestingly, again, inside Iraq, they're using terrorist groups. The U.S. considers terrorist groups, 
that are part of the Iraqi military. They were brought into the Iraqi military during the fight against ISIS in 2016, 2017. They're called the Popular Mobilization Units. I met with the head of one of these Shiite brigades uh, in northern Iraq a couple of years ago, trying to pretend that he was all moderate and pro-Western. At the same time, his people were stealing land from Christians. So there's a lot of things going on beneath the surface that we don't pay attention to here in the West. It's one of the reasons we cover them here on this show. The Iranians are very, very active inside Iraq. They've got their proxies there. They own essentially the Iraqi government. And uh, now the Iraqi government, as we mentioned last week, is calling for the U.S. to abandon our, our last couple of military facilities in Iraq. Well, very interesting. You talk about things that are taking place in Iran that we don't necessarily cover. We look at the situation, and this is a, a top story coming out of this week, is that the executions in Iran are up 30%. We talked about the protest in Iran and how the, the religious crackdown was uh, very brutal. Well, this continues even now, and it's maybe somehow the world's attention is taken up with other situations going around the world, but this is something that is taking place in Iran, and I know this is something that is very personal to you, Ken. Right. I have a lot of friends who are there on the ground. Look, when you have the Islamic regime in Tehran sitting on the United Nations Human Rights Council, you kind of understand that there's not going to be any condemnation of human rights abuses inside Iran by the UN. And they hardly eat when the Iranians step up these executions. Now, they will have excuses for hundreds of these people. They, they normally execute about between 500 and 700 a year, uh, making them really the largest per capita capital punishment uh, place in the world. But they call many of them drug crimes. They say they're drug smugglers or whatever. Uh, I know for a fact that a lot of these individuals who are so-called drug smugglers are actually people who've been arrested during the anti-regime protests and the regime is just looking for a good excuse to kill them. So this is something very serious. Uh, there's not been a great deal of condemnation worldwide, and I say certainly not from the United Nations. And I haven't really even heard anything from the State Department, certainly not very any loud condemnation of Iran's human rights abuses recently. Well, I certainly like to keep an eye on that situation because it provides context to the nation that we're dealing with, and that is very important as we form a complete worldview about what is taking place in the world. Well, let's move on a little bit. We'll continue to talk about the Middle East in just a second, but I'd like to talk a little bit about a worldview picture. We look at uh, the situation going on with the war between Russia and Ukraine, and there are some that are saying that that could expand, and even some leaked German documents this week that's saying that they are preparing for an escalation of that war, Russia moving in to take on NATO. Uh, these documents were uh, leaked to the sensationalist uh, German Newsweekly Bild, uh, and they claimed to be a kind of worst case scenario that was conducted inside the German defense ministry to see, you know, how, how could we war game out a Russian attack on Europe. And they looked at, you know, seven different steps. Uh, they said it would begin in February with Russia calling up 200,000 more troops. Well, they got to find those 200,000 troops. But OK, let's say they do that. The second step would be they're saying these German documents in the spring of 24 for Russia to launch a renewed offensive against Ukraine. That's certainly possible. In July, they, they're saying the Russians would then launch cyber attacks against Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. These are the Baltic states that are now members of NATO. They used to be part of the USSR. And Putin has said repeatedly he would like to take them back. And then the real big deal would come in September 
where the Russians would use Russian nationals in those Baltic states as an excuse the same way that they did in Ukraine in 2014 when they went into eastern Ukraine, saying there were Russian nationals, Russian ethnic Russians in those eastern provinces to say, well, they're being oppressed by the majority government, so we have to go in and protect them. And then everything escalates into there. And the big piece to drop, they say, well, could happen in December of 2024 when the Russians actually claim that border conflicts force them to go into the Suwalki Gap. Now, this is a new term of art, Rick. So let me say that again, the Suwalki Gap. This is a very narrow band of territory in between Belarus and the Russian enclave in Kaliningrad, which is in between Lithuania and Poland on the Baltic Sea. And uh, Russia does not have direct access to Kaliningrad, so they have to use these corridors through Lithuania and through Poland to bring troops or reinforcements in there. They would love to go across the Suwalki Gap to capture that 45, I think it's 45 to 60 mile wide territory to have a direct access into Kaliningrad and therefore out into the Baltic Sea. This is a scenario. This is not a Russian war plan. It does not purport to be something garnered from Russia by intelligence means. This is the German military basically trying to prepare themselves for the worst. Now, I think that's a great idea. I think the Europeans should be preparing themselves for the worst. Just five years ago, before Donald Trump became president, they were thinking everything was hunky-dory and they didn't have to worry or spend an extra dime on their defense. Now they are actually worried. And I think that's a healthy thing. Okay, and my final question for you, as you talk about these situations here, I mean, when you we've previously talked about Iran and the escalating situation there, whether with Iran directly or their proxies, and then we look at what's taking place in Russia and Ukraine and possibly NATO, it doesn't seem like it's a far-fetched idea that a series of events could take place, dominoes could fall, and the world, including the United States, could be plunged into World War III. In January 2021, when Donald Trump left office, the world was pretty much at peace. Russia had not invaded Ukraine. They were not threatening the Baltic states. The Iranians uh, were pretty much inside a box. Hamas was not launching major attacks against Israel. Hezbollah was not launching major attacks. The Houthis were not launching major attacks and certainly not daring to go after U.S. ships. Just three years later, look where we are. The whole Middle East is up in flames, whether it's Israel, Gaza, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq. We've talked about those. Yemen with the Houthis and now the Iranians striking all the way into Pakistan. You have you have uh, pockets of conflict that could expand and become a greater region wide conflict very, very quickly. This is a dangerous security situation. We've gotten into it through poor leadership weak leadership from the White House, misdirection, and a false scapegoating of the Saudis by President Biden in the very early months of his administration in February, March, and April of 2021, when Joe Biden was running around the world calling the Saudi crown prince a mass murderer and and a uh, a terrorist, uh, and cutting off arms supplies to Saudi Arabia, Patriot missiles in particular. So we're in a very dangerous pass. We have brought it on ourselves, I believe, to a very great extent, just look at the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan in uh, August of 2021. And we brought it on through weak leadership. We certainly have, Ken, and we appreciate you so much adding insight to this situation. Well, thank you so much for taking the time on your vacation there in Jackson Hole to be with us today. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Thanks so much, Rick. God bless. We've got to take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East News update with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Iran trades missile fire with neighboring Pakistan. Iran said its airstrikes destroyed terrorist strongholds in Balochistan province on Tuesday. Pakistan then fired rockets and launched drones at ethnic militants in Iran on Thursday, killing at least nine, four of them kids. FMI's Nehemiah says. This is very, very defining moment because there is a tug war between Shias and Sunnis. Iran is a Shia country. And Pakistani is a majority Sunni country. Sunnis inside Pakistan are are feeling that maybe Shias attacked them. So several Shia leaders have been killed by Sunni uh, militant groups. Please pray for FMI church planters and partners throughout the region. And finally, this year, Door International is celebrating 40 years of gospel ministry among the deaf. And they're inviting you to celebrate with them. Rob Myers with Door says the ministry began in 1984 with a young woman who believed that every person in God's kingdom has gifts and should be trained to reach others for Christ. Today, Door has around 230 staff globally. We're looking for as many ways, both online and in person, that we can be able to celebrate what God has done, but also look forward into the future of what God's going to do through the seeds that have been planted over the last 40 years. Learn more by following Door International on social media so you can be among the first to know about in-person and online celebrations through 2024. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. So join us here on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also find us on Alexa, iTunes, or TWR360. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, this is the portion of our program that we call our Middle East News Update. We look at news coming out of the Middle East in general, and Israel in particular. And to do that, we have our good friend Dave Dolan, a journalist with over 30 years of experience in Israel. Dave, thanks so much for being with us today. Glad to be with you, Rick. Well, David, ever since October 7th and this war has begun between Israel and Hamas and potentially a more wider conflict in the entire Middle East, you have been giving us updates. So let's start right there. What is the latest going on in Israel? Well, Rick, the northern front has been the hottest one all week, with Israel on Tuesday launching 16 airstrikes in just minutes against Hezbollah positions right along the border, a forested area. I've been there. Uh, where they said attacks were coming from. Hezbollah, of course, responded. They fired rockets at Kiryat Shmona. And late last night, uh, they fired something. It was either a rocket or a drone at Haifa. Now, that's the first time that I know of in this war that the third largest city in Israel, Haifa, has been directly targeted. But the IDF said that their interceptors got it before it could land, but sirens were sounding all over the place. And we had the Hezbollah leadership again saying that they're ready for war, they're ready for a wider war, they're not afraid of it. We had Nasrallah during the week, their overall leader, saying that the U.S. does not intimidate us and that, uh, you know, basically we're ready to go. Of course, the Israeli leaders made similar statements in response that they're prepared for a full war if there is no negotiated settlement, and the U.S. continued during the week to try to 
bring the two sides together, but on Thursday, Hezbollah said, no way, they're not interested, they're not going to move their forces back from the border, which is what Israel is requesting as part of that negotiated deal. So that looks to be fairly dead. Of course, there was more action in Iraq to the further north and in Syria. We had Iran firing uh, rockets uh, into Syria and into Iraq, hitting the U.S. consulate in Erbil in the north. We had responses uh, from the United States, and we had, of course, continued fighting in Gaza, although at a lower level than before, but still that was going on. The UN tried to get some medicine into the hostages being held. Uh, we don't know if that reached them during the week. And uh, Hamas announced that several more hostages were dead. Uh, we also had, of course, more action in the Red Sea. On Friday night, the U.S. conducted its sixth military strike on Houthi positions in Yemen, uh, the sixth uh, since uh, last week, late last week. And that, of course, came after continued uh, Houthi firings upon uh, shipping in the Red Sea, including over the past few days direct attacks on U.S. vessels, one a military one, two commercial vessels. This came as the U.N. said that uh, a lot of the wheat that's supposed to be reaching Europe and uh, the northern African region is not coming through and that there's going to be extra food shortages coming up there. So, again, we see the global impact that that part of the war is happening. Of course, uh, the Houthis, Hezbollah, all backed by Iran, along with Hamas. We had, again, during the week, more evidence of North Korean involvement in support of Hamas. More weapons were found, and more statements came out of North Korea uh, backing uh, Hamas and the, quote, resistance movement. So we see that alliance between Iran, North Korea, Russia involved, and they, by the way, received a Hamas delegation uh, late this week uh, in Moscow. So they're still um, showing their indirect support, although they said they asked them to release all the hostages. Just the fact that they're receiving uh, these uh, leaders of Hamas is an indication of their continuing backing for that terror group. So all in all, a bad situation. The EU more formally declaring Hamas a terrorist organization during the week. And of course, the U.S. put uh, the Houthis back on the terror list that was taken off by Joe Biden in his first day of office uh, to reverse what Donald Trump had done before him. Well, David, as I listen to your Middle East news update, I think about the situation in Israel, the politics that are behind the scenes in Israel. We look at Prime Minister Netanyahu. He was a polarizing figure before October 7th, before the attack by Hamas on Israel. You have talked about it before. People either love him or hate him. So he is in a precarious situation now. He is dealing with with a war in Hamas, potentially a war with Hezbollah, and then the larger Middle East region and what's taking place there. How is he able to handle what is going on in Israel? What is the situation with Prime Minister Netanyahu going forward in Israel? Well, Rick, we had the first anti-government demonstration since the war began on October 7th on Thursday evening in Tel Aviv. We had former Prime Minister Ehud Barak, who was leading the anti-Netanyahu movement last year over the judicial reform proposals, etc. We had him call on Thursday for Netanyahu to resign immediately. 
and be replaced by Benny Gantz. Well, certainly the left wants to see Gantz in charge. And of course, uh, the Likud is allied in the uh, coalition with some very right-wing parties, as uh, Joe Biden has pointed out several times, and they occasionally make some fairly far-right statements like, well, let's just nuke Gaza or, you know, there's not only not going to be a Palestinian state, but let's get rid of all of the Arabs around and these sorts of things, which is not Netanyahu's policy by any means. But those deep divisions are still there. They've been papered over by the war, and there has been true unity, and the polls still show that most Israelis want the military campaign to go on until Hamas is at least neutralized, if not eliminated. And uh, again, the horrific details are still coming out of what went on on October 7th and more testimonials and more uh, evidence of that, how cruel it was, how vicious it was, etc. But uh, these divisions are there, and it's, it's sad to say that, but uh, uh, Israel is a nation that is deeply divided, as America is as well, and probably that was part of the trigger for this war. It certainly was, David. Well, one last question that I would like to get your insight on, David, is there was a proposal put out this week, and it was by Arab nations and supported by the United States, and it was basically a proposal for a ceasefire in Gaza and essentially an end to the war, and it was predicated upon the creation of a Palestinian state. Could you talk about this proposal and what it means for Israel and the security for Israel in the future? Well, Rick, we have to remember that Netanyahu stated last summer, before, of course, the horrific uh, Hamas massacre, that he was willing to discuss any proposals that Saudi Arabia brought up. He knew from the media reports and from his own contacts and those of his government that the Saudis were insisting that there has to be a solution to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and crisis and that that solution would have to entail a full state. He didn't endorse that, but he said, I'm willing to discuss this. Well, of course, now he's saying, no way. We've told the United States there's no way we can talk about that. And frankly, Rick, I think it's absurd for the Biden administration at this time to be pushing this. Uh, there's not going to be any peace treaty between the Saudis and Israel anytime soon under these conditions. We're fortunate that uh, the earlier Abraham Accords haven't completely fallen apart over this, frankly. We've had hints from Jordan that they may pull out of their peace treaty with Israel if the war continues and intensifies, and Egypt even is making similar noises. So this is clearly not the time to be talking about a two-state, quote, solution. And frankly, the Israelis see it as a final solution, uh, a la World War II, because, of course, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, Iran, on and on and on, all state, they want to see Israel's total destruction. They don't want to live in peace with it. They don't want a Jewish state at all in the region to the point where Hamas is joined by the Palestinian Authority in saying the Jews never had a temple in Jerusalem. The Jews don't have a deep history here. Ridiculous statements, but they're still making them. And again, Abbas has failed to condemn the Hamas attack on and on. So it's clearly not the time and certainly not in the last year of an administration that is the most unpopular in uh, modern American history. I mean, I'm not saying that Biden won't uh, win an election, but I doubt it. And, uh, you know, it's just not the time to be pushing this. So 
it's just creating more problems. It's further emboldening Iran and it's Israel's enemies. And, uh, you know, uh, it's true that Netanyahu is now saying no way that's going to happen, but it would have happened. It would have happened many years ago if Arafat hadn't broken the Oslo Accords and gone back to war. And Israel since then has basically just been responding to to that fact. And, uh, you know, where are they going to create a state that's safe, that's demilitarized, that isn't going to declare war against Israel, while the ideology of Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran is the predominant one amongst the Palestinian people. Dave Dolan on our Middle East News Update. Dave, as always, we appreciate your insight and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Trying to be watchmen on the walls, Rick, and you do a good job to help people see that as well. God bless. Excellent job as always, David. You do a great job as a watchman on the wall. We try to do that. In fact, those watchmen on the wall used to stand there with a sword in one hand and a shofar to blow and let the people know that there was trouble coming ahead. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Israel Madad, a Navy SEAL, joins our broadcast partner team and R.C. Merle, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Iran trades missile fire with neighboring Pakistan. Iran said its airstrikes destroyed terrorist strongholds in Balochistan province on Tuesday. Pakistan then fired rockets and drones at ethnic militants in Iran on Thursday, killing at least nine people, four of them kids. FMI church planters and partners are being affected throughout the region. Some can't reach congregations because the borders are closed. Pray for the church to be an instrument of peace in conflict areas. And you're invited to join Door International in celebrating 40 years of gospel ministry among the deaf. Rob Myers with Door says it all began in 1984 with a young woman who believed that every person in God's kingdom has gifts and should be given training to reach others for Christ. Follow Door on social media to join in an online or in-person celebration of God's faithfulness this year. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. We've got a great half hour coming up next. Israel Madad in Israel, a brand new broadcast partner, a Navy SEAL, and of course, R.C. Merle speaking about the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Well, let's get started, Rick, with Israel Madad. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Israel Madad with us. He is the former mayor of Shiloh and somebody that we go to when we want to get insight from news coming out of the Middle East. Winky, thank you for joining us. Thank you again for having me on. Well, Winky, I just wanted to get your thoughts real quickly. There was news coming out this week. Arab states, including Saudi Arabia, are collectively working on a ceasefire. Now, this ceasefire is going to uh, include normalization of ties with Saudi Arabia and the creation of a Palestinian state. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, but initially, I know you. I know that you've seen this report. Can you tell me what you think about the report coming out right now? Well, look, this is a long-time uh, goal of the Arab states to rid themselves of their Palestinian problem, which is to dump it on us. Uh, as as I'm sure everybody knows, the war is now over 100 days, over three and a half months, and not one Arab state has volunteered to take in one single Gazan, even, not even a refugee, but a displaced person, you know, for a couple of months or something like that until things get over. So, Obviously, Israel is, got, is being put in a bind here. 
a Palestinian state will mean an existential security threat to Israel. It's obvious from the fact that we withdrew ourselves, we retreated, if you want to call it that, from the Gaza Strip in 2005, and all we got was rockets and tunnels, and uh, now we're stuck with them and in, in battling with them. So an, a Palestinian state should not be a goal. What should be a goal is, can the Palestinian Authority or any authority within the so-called Arab-Palestine community uh, rule themselves, control themselves, act according to the rules of war, morality, no uh, initiating terror, no inciting to terror, promoting peace. Once these things are in place, mechanisms or programs, whatever you want to call them, which the United States could pay for instead of paying for other things that are doing us a lot of damage, then perhaps we can talk about autonomy. And after autonomy, we can talk about all sorts of other things. And maybe down the road, there'll be a state. But the jump from Hamas and Islamic Jihad in Gaza and the Fatah and all sorts of other terror groups in Judea and Samaria and say, oh, next week we're going to have a state that's not the way to bring peace. It certainly doesn't seem like it makes any sense. We look at October 7th and what took place there. You talk about an existential security threat. There has been a lot of aid pouring into Gaza, and Hamas has decided to create hundreds of miles of terror tunnels to create missiles that do nothing but uh, threaten Israeli civilians. You look at that situation, they're not going to come out of Gaza and and do anything meaningful to hurt the military. They're just going to hurt the people and creating a Palestinian state without change. I'm not even sure what could change. Creating a Palestinian state within those borders is not something that Israel could live with because then they would be threatened by events like October 7th every day. Uh, A, you're absolutely correct. B, I hope everybody's listening, whether on their television or radio or reading news websites, all the hundreds of demonstrations with hundreds of thousands of people participating in them on behalf of Gaza, all you hear is Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. Now, you and I, and I'm sure about 99% of our listening audience, know their geography, at least the biblical ge- geography, and they know between the river and the sea, if there's Palestine there, Israel won't be there. So all this is like fake. All this is a desire for a Palestinian state in place of Israel, not alongside of Israel. And I hope that that message eventually get up to Mr. Blinken, United States Secretary of State, and maybe even President Biden, if he's listening once in a while. So uh, I don't think this plan is is real. It's just another drumming of the drums, beating of the drums, if I can call it that way, of diplomacy pressure on Israel. As we continue to go forward, there will be more and more pressure on Israel to accept some type of ceasefire. But, of course, there's still hostages in Gaza that they need to get out. And there is still a threat from Hamas. Hamas, the ones that per- uh, perpetuated this attack, are essentially still in control, even though greatly diminished. So hey, going forward, are, is Israel and Prime Minister Netanyahu going to be able to resist the pressure and be able to continue to do what they need to keep Israel safe? Uh, that's a very good question, Rick. I hope so. I think so. We've been doing that for many years. Uh, we need a lot of help from uh, anybody who is a lover of Israel, a lover of Zion, uh, who understands 
the prophecy that's built into this uh, return of the Jews to the land of Israel and progressing with our redemption, not only on behalf of ourselves, but on, on all mankind. And we're fighting evil. And I hope the people will help us fight that, whether it comes in small doses of diplomacy or larger doses of uh, Palestinian Arab terror. Oh, Winky Madad, again, the former mayor of Shiloh and somebody who helps explain to us what's taking place in Israel. Thanks for coming on and giving us your insight today. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, thank you very much. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, Winky Madad, uh, his official name is Israel Madad, but we affectionately know him as Winky. And we depend on him. Uh, he really has an understanding of what takes place in the Middle East. Rick, thanks for doing that. Well, just to remind you is that God's not finished with the Jewish people. He still has a role. In fact, the major trends of Bible prophecy that we keep our eyes on as a ministry, the return of the Jewish people to the land, that's the Aliyah, the anticipation for peace, and the man of peace is going to control or want to control the nation of Israel, the alignment of nations in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83, and then, of course, the anticipation and the arrangements for the rebuilding of a temple that John was told to measure in the book of Revelation chapter 11, a temple that will be standing in the city of Jerusalem, not the temple that Jesus builds when he returns to the earth, but the temple that the Jewish people are preparing right now to build in the city of Jerusalem. So that's why we continually focus on the Jewish people. So I thought this week, you know, and I, I, I try to, the people that we come in contact with through our life, I try to pick their brains from time to time. I've traveled with them around the world. And our next guest is someone that I'm very pleased to have on the program. He's a former Navy SEAL. He's trained as a Navy SEAL, still active probably, so I'm not going to get into that. Uh, he's trained in the intelligence field and has traveled extensively in the Middle East. He's lived for many years in Jerusalem, worked in Israel, and is currently in the security industry. And folks, I, I, I want to bring him to you, and for reasons of security, we're going to call him Jack today. And Jack, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Jim. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Yes, and you know, uh, so I know Jack uh, over the years, uh, and I know that he's a believer and he is a student of Bible prophecy. So before we get into some questions that I have for you, I, Jack, give us your testimony, if you would. Well, I appreciate that, Jim. I would I would say that I grew up in the classic American household. I knew right from wrong, and I knew I knew to be a good person, and it was based on biblical principles, and, and we were taught to read the Bible, but we would, I, would, I would categorize us as church attenders when it was convenient or when mm. we got the urge. It wasn't a constant thing. So periods of time in my life I would attend church and periods of time I wouldn't, but it was always insinuated throughout the family to study and read the Bible and to live by it. So that led me to a position of I thought I was a good person and I was going to go to this place called heaven just because I'd read my Bible, memorized scripture, and uh, I did good and didn't do any of the bad, so to speak. So it wasn't until I was probably a young adult that I had some folks uh, 
question me or in, in a loving way. I think it was mm-hmm. more of just a casual conversation. They assumed that I was a Christian, and they said, so how long have you been saved? And I kind of didn't understand the question. I, I kind of <laughs> probably had heard those phrases before, but not enough to know what they were. were. And so I said, well, I've uh, always been saved. I've uh, always been a good person. So it, it wasn't until a few years after that that I had somebody approach me and say that you're, um, you know, you're not saved. You're you're going to hell. And uh, it wasn't in what I would call a loving way, but I would say it was truthful. And that person was probably a messenger from the Lord mm. and at the right time. So that caused me to redouble my efforts to read my Bible as I had done most of my life. And it was then that I recall coming across the scripture where it says, uh, John, you must be born again. And so I made that decision at that moment. Didn't think much of it at the time, and it would take years and years later on, but slowly but progressively, that I'd come to see the importance of um, being discipled and studying God's Word and understanding it more on your own. And so I think I was a prime product of probably many of us in the Western world that we think we think we're going to heaven just because we're an American or maybe just because we go to church or maybe because we've heard that title Christian and we just want to claim it ourselves. Mm, that is what a great testimony. And folks, let me again remind you, we're talking to Jack, a Navy SEAL. Uh, I'm as I'm as excited about this interview as I am Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, Kid Timmerman, David Dolan, Winky Madad, uh, all of our broadcast partners. And uh, so excited to have, because I know that Jack is a believer, and you know you can tell when you hear a testimony, uh, ones that are fluffy or ones that you know, like he has certainly searched through the scriptures, and he's also a student of Bible prophecy. Now, Jack. You spent a lot of years in the Middle East. Uh, your, that's your field, the intelligence field. You were in Jerusalem. You worked there, and uh, you lived there. Um, and I, I'll, I'll be free to tell people you and I have been together there. So let me ask you, what are your observations of the recent Middle East chaos that has taken place on October 7th and beyond? Well, that's a, a great question, Jim. I, I think it's a big question, but in reality, it's a, I think it's a simple question. When we put on our biblical lenses, which is what we should always do to see through the eyes of Scripture, and, and I remember years ago telling the kids at youth group, I would try and drill it into their heads, so to speak, to let your theology dictate your worldview. Do not let your worldview dictate your theology. Mm. So with that in mind, I think we can see that anything that happens in the Middle East affects the little nation known as Israel. And virtually, if it's not affecting it directly, it's affecting it indirectly. And we know what Ezekiel 5.5 says, this is Jerusalem, I have set you at the center of the nations. Hmm. So with all that in mind, looking throughout history for that biblical view, we we can trace back to Genesis and the conflict between Jacob and Esau. And as we trace that down through the books of the Bible, from the Amalekites, King Agag, down to Haman, to Herod, and we can trace the Edomites to the modern-day 
Palestinians, the mm. descendants of the Edomites. So we can see that this conflict has been going on for millennia now, and we also know that, as it says in the book of Obadiah, Esau will become a stubble, cease to exist no more. So we know the end of the story. So putting that in the biblical perspective, this is to be expected. And, and it's no surprise these things have been bubbling for years, and can, as, since Israel became a nation in '48, they've been able to be the center point of this hostility. It's once they became a nation, their um, the hatred could focus directly on a geographical point. Mm. And so, as we see that progressing, we can also know that the tribute with the tribulation to come. This, uh, things are only going to get worse uh, for Israel. Ultimately, we know through the scriptures, Romans tells us that, that Israel will be preserved, a remnant will be preserved. So this, these things are just a shadow of worse things to come. But we have the hope and know God's promises to the church uh, that we will be taken out before then and be saved. So I think that, that as we look at this, uh, how does this uh, affect, how are we affected by this? And unfortunately, I think it's easy for us as Americans and those that live across the oceans to not be affected by this so much. It doesn't affect our daily lives. Uh, but that comes back to our worldview and studying prophecy, and which tells us what's taking place, what will take place. And if we look at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those who bless thee and curse those who curse thee. And so there's a blessing for those that bless Israel and support them. And I think that in recent months, which has been expected, we've seen at best a timid response from America towards Israel. And, and, and frankly... In the last several and recent years, as America has shrunk in world power and influence, we've become a bit of a paper tiger, which has certainly influenced Hamas and what they've done, and it, it's accelerated the process. It was going to happen anyway, but I think our recent standing has accelerated this process. And let's not hide the fact and, and not not overlook the fact that it's not just Hamas. Hamas is just the point man, so to speak, for Iran, just as Hezbollah, the Houthi rebels, mm-hmm. and others are the, the, the ones that are on the ground doing the, doing the work right now, so to speak, but it's Iran that's behind it. I think we in the West that have been sheltered and blessed and kept separate from these physical and regional conflicts in the Middle East, we don't understand true Islam and the culture that it breeds. Mm. The Jews and the Christians are all infidels, and true Islam calls for us to be converted or to be killed. And we have to recognize that they are at war with us, whether we are at war with them, they are at war with us. And if 
we can't recognize that, then how are we going to deal with it? And we should be, geographically speaking, we should be thankful, scriptures aside, we, sh- we can be thankful that Israel exists there, geographically speaking, because they get all the focus and the attention from the Islamic world right now. And let's not, let's not hide the fact that if they were to be wiped off the, the face, face of the earth, as Islam wants to do, which we know won't happen, we would be next. The Christians would be next. So we need to acknowledge we're at war, the, wor- the world we live in, and how will we deal with it. Uh, this is my good friend Jack, who's a Navy SEAL, and he works in the security industry. New broadcast partner here on Prophecy Today, and I really appreciate your testimony, your words of your analysis of what's taking place in the Middle East, your challenge not only to the church but to America to stand on the side of Israel. Uh, but more than that, I love your testimony and on the role that Jesus Christ plays in your life and how important it is. And as a student of the Bible and Bible prophecy, you understand the times in which we're living. Jack, I've got to have you on again soon. Sorry we're running out of time, but I've got to have you back so that we can continue to talk about things not only in the Mideast, but around the world, because you are a man that can tell us what's taking place. Thanks a lot for being on the program today, Jack. It's been a pleasure, Jim. Thank you. Well, as we continue on the program today, and we're focusing on world events, as we always do, I read in the headlines that uh, the World Economic Forum was meeting in Davos, Switzerland, and so I needed to get my good friend, R.C. Merle, back on the program today. R.C., welcome to the program. Really good to be back with you, Jim. Yes, sir. And uh, his website, Prophecy Tracker, is up and running. There's so much information there, folks. I encourage you to go to his website and take a look at the headlines every day, new things that are there, and it's just so exciting to be able to have a resource to go to. Well, RC, the World Economic Forum met in Davos, Switzerland, and it got underway on January 15th and ended on January 19th. Government officials Diplomats, scientists, planners, and hucksters gathered together to shape world thinking and plan a new world order. A headline on your website, Prophecy Tracker, caught my interest. World Economic Forum, WEF, panel, preparing the world for disease X. Are these the same globalists that warned us about a global pandemic in the years preceding the COVID-19 outbreak? You know, Jimmy, it sure looks that way. And it seems as though the World Economic Forum planners just can't wait for another much more deadly COVID to create another vaccine to force on people. You know, the biggest cheerleader in all this is the World Health Organization, Mm. or the WHO, headed by Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus, who declared, quote, the next health emergency of planetary scope is a matter of when, not if. Tedros said the pathogens that could cause the next pandemic range from SARS to MERS, Zika, Ebola. But a WEF panel discussion instead wanted to focus on the so-called disease X that they claim will be 20 times deadlier than COVID, declaring that such a deadly disease will require global coordination and participation. Who 
is better to head up such a role, but the who. <laughs> you know, R.C., a few years ago, I recall the Biden administration favored a pandemic accord that could hand over U.S. sovereignty to who, who whatever happened with that. You know, that's correct, Jimmy. Uh, and there's Senator Jim Risch of uh, Idaho and a House member, Chris Smith of New Jersey, are challenging the Biden administration on this pandemic accord. Now, the final decision on this is supposed to come in May of 24. And all the WHO members are being encouraged to sign the accord that will ensure that, the and this is a quote, the, na- the narrow national interests do not get in the way of a concerted response to a common enemy. And, of course, this will give the progressive left World Health Organization global control over health. And that's a really scary thought. In the meantime, progressive left politicians and media are doing their very best to downplay the pandemic accord's significance. Yes. And, and RC, before I, I want to ask you a question about China. But before that, why why do you think that they're doing this? You know, it, it, it's, it's just a big globalist move to get everything under the control of one entity. So it, if, we, if, if all the nations have to have to report to the to the WHO if there's a pandemic pandemic breaking out, then all the nations of the world lose their sovereignty to the WHO. It's just globalism uh, magnified. Wow. You know, and I've I've been seeing and look, uh, folks, you know, and if you're a first time listener to the program, but those that are longtime listeners know that my father died from covid. I almost passed away from it, uh, thankfully, by God's hand that I survived. But, you know, uh, I do see that there are a lot more commercials. We're starting to see a lot more numbers popping up about covid, about how many people are dying. So it's almost like they're programming us again, R.C., to to be ready to receive this, aren't they? The very same things they did from 2016 to 19. There was a lot of reports out about how a virus, uh, a virus could be could be could go pandemic. Uh, you saw Bill Gates all over the all kinds of globalists were out there predicting a pandemic, and 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 it came. It actually happened. So yeah. Well, another headline on Prophecy Tracker: China made a new mutant. COVID-19 strain. What do you have on this? Yeah, this is really interesting. This news came just days after Dr. Anthony Fauci admitted that the COVID-19 lab leak theory was not a conspiracy theory. And according to the New York Post, the new Chinese strain has a 100% kill rate in humanized lab mice. So what could go wrong with that? (laughs) Not only did the so-called deep state attempt to hide China's responsibility for triggering the COVID-19 pandemic, it also aimed to shield U.S. government officials who funded the gain-of-function research to begin with. Now, that research, by the way, is illegal in the United States. Yeah, you know, and I I do think this is another plan by the globalists, if you will, uh, and the World Economic Forum to put their thumb on everybody to control people and to control us all. And I'm all for people um, doing the right things to stay healthy. Thank the Lord that our hope is in the future with Jesus Christ as we look at Bible prophecy and our hope is in the rapture, the return of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, that's that's everybody that has that hope in them purifies themselves in how they live. Well, RC, getting back to, you know, the World Economic Forum in this meeting, this conference in Switzerland, in an interview that we did on Prophecy Today in 2022, 
you commented on the possibility of the future Antichrist being in attendance and standing in the wings at Davos. You know, I do remember saying that, and it bears repeating. Uh, Matthew 24, 6 and 7 prophesies events early in the seven-year tribulation that cast a big shadow on the news today. Mm-hmm. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. So what better place than the World Economic Forum for Antichrist to be than to listen to the kings of the earth set the stage for his entrance? Yes, exactly so, R.C., and you you and I both know that whomever the Antichrist is, and we're not, we don't, we're not like focusing on who that could be, but whomever he is, he's got to be on the world scene right now because although Satan is powerful, he's the prince of the power of the air, he's the master deceiver, Satan does not know when the rapture of the church will take place and has to have someone someone ready to fill the role of the Antichrist. So whomever he is, we do know that he probably was in attendance at WEF. I agree, Jimmy. And uh, thankfully, we won't be here to to see him uh, take the world stage. Amen. Amen. RC, thanks again. Prophecytracker.org is his website. Thank you for getting on here again. And here we are focusing on the globalists, the elitists, uh, everyone that's trying to put in a systematic thought process that is anti-God. R.C., thank you so much. My pleasure, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. God bless. we got to take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series, a new section on God's plan through the ages on the book of Daniel, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This program today is about the last days. And Rick, every weekend, our program is about the last days. In fact, that's really what we focus on, what's happening in the world, what's taking place according to God's prophetic word. And uh, on our website, we do have many items that people can go to to further their study of Bible prophecy. We do, Jimmy. I mean, our focus is on the last days, and that is what we talk about in this ministry as we look at current events, setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If you would like to find out more about our ministry, engage with us, sign up for our newsletter, sign up for our devotions, look at the materials that we have that help you study Bible prophecy. We'd love for you to do that. Go to prophecytoday.com. Well, our Legacy Series is a series that we do with our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, who started this program, who did it for 20 years, and the Lord took him home. We're carrying on that legacy, and this is a Legacy Series. Today, we're going to begin our study of the book of Daniel as it relates to the overall study of God's plan through the ages. Daniel deals with the member of the human family known as the Gentiles. Remember, there are three strands of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christian. God has a plan for each of these members of the human family. In the book of Daniel, there are some very practical passages, and of course, Daniel is a book of prophecy. Prophecies focused on the Gentiles. There's a key phrase that is found in Daniel, and it is the times of the Gentiles. Times of the Gentiles extend all the way through history, 
and include the seven-year tribulation period. That begins after the rapture. We will begin our study today in Daniel chapter 1. Dr. Jimmy D. Young and the Legacy Series. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Daniel, if you will, with me, the book of Daniel. Now, reminding you that indeed what we have learned thus far, there is a philosophy of history that gives us a systematic interpretation of the past, that gives us the whole scope of history, the past and the future, that helps us to coordinate and make certain that these, and there is meaning and purpose in how we put history together and understanding how that happens and that there is an ultimate end to history. Uh, And that is key to understand where we're going to go. The three questions that Jack Wurtzen used to ask, where did I come from or where did you come from? Why are we here and where are we going? Three important questions which really lay out the understanding of time and history. His story, Genesis 1-1, Revelation 20, uh, verse uh, verse 11, uh, when all the earth is burned up and we move into eternity future, which is not, does not include time. And then we talked about the three members of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. From Adam to Abraham, that's a 2,000-year period of time in the Bible. That's Genesis 1 to 12. And there were only Gentiles upon the face of the earth. From Abraham to the apostles, another 2,000-year period of time in Scripture. That would be Genesis chapter 12 to Acts chapter 1. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit baptized believers into the body of Christ. That established the third member of the human family, the church, and that would be from the apostles to the Antichrist. And so you can use those four personalities, Adam, Abraham, apostles, and Antichrist, to see how God has a plan, a systematic plan going through history. We need to understand that plan, God's plan throughout all of the ages. We're coming now to the first book that is a timeline for one member of the human family. Next session, we'll look at the book of Ezekiel. It's a timeline for the Jewish people. And then finally, our final session, we'll look at Revelation, a timeline for Christians, but also includes the other two members of the human family as well and has a purpose of helping us to understand what will happen with the Jews, with the Gentiles, and with the Christians. God has a program for each member of the human family. Sometimes they overlap a bit, but nobody is two members of the human family. You're either a Gentile, a Jew, or a Christian. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following, two people at enmity with each other, Gentiles and Jews, a wall of petition between them. When that wall was removed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, two people became one, and those would be Christians. So there's no such thing as a Messianic Jew or a completed Hebrew. If a Jewish person gets saved, that person is a Christian. If a Gentile person gets saved, that person is a Christian during the church age, from the time of the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, to the rapture of the church. In those parameters, day of Pentecost, rapture of the church, 
that Christians are made up of Jews and Gentiles who come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, that period of time would be referring to the church or the bride of Christ. As we go now to the book of Daniel, our efforts are going to be to look at the timeline for the Gentile people. Uh, We've looked at the overall timeline. I did that as I traced from Adam all the way to eternity future. And thank you for being so patient with me as we went through that. But, uh, you know, people tell me, DeYoung, you go so fast. Well, that is true. But you got it all in your mind through your eye gate, your ear gate, and if you're taking notes, your touch gate. You got the information in your brain, in your database. You'll remember it. You'll never forget it. You cannot forget anything you've ever put in your mind. That's why it's key to make sure you put only pure things uh, that you read or that you hear. And that's the purpose of God when he puts everything in your mind to bring it back to your attention. The Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, Jesus said, I'm going to go. I'm going to send the Spirit of truth, the Comforter. And when he comes, he will teach you things to come. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and reveal something to you that you've never heard or read before. You've got to hear it or read it to have it in your mind, and then the Holy Spirit does his work of bringing it back to your attention. Memory is perfect always. Recall is sometimes a bit more difficult, and at our age, we start to recognize that more and more. Recall is more difficult, but the Holy Spirit steps in, and that's his ministry. Luke chapter 21, you know, remember when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said to them this, Don't worry what you're going to have to say, what your words will be, or what wisdom you're going to need. I'm going to give you the wisdom. I'll give you the words. But again, I must remind you, you have to hear those words or read those words in order for them to be in your brain so the Holy Spirit can use only that. Holy Spirit doesn't come along and reveal anything that you haven't heard or read before. And that's the reason for a daily consistency in studying the Word of God. Now, when we go to the book of Daniel, and let me just give a couple of thoughts to you about Daniel before we start tracing through what I would suggest are the four main prophecies in the book of Daniel. In fact, Daniel is not only a prophetic book, but it's a very practical book. If you remember in Daniel chapter 1, and by the way, I'm not going to try to give an extensive study in Daniel in the 45 to 50 minutes I have. I want to whet your appetite, give you the mountain peaks, and encourage you to get in the Word and study it out for yourself. If I can point out a couple of important factors, I believe that would help your study. But Daniel is very prophetic and very practical. Chapter 1, we see Nebuchadnezzar returning from his sojourn down into Egypt. His father has just died. He is now, he was the uh, crown prince, the heir apparent. He's on his way back to Babylon to become the king of Babylon. As he goes through Jerusalem, taking a shortcut from the Via Maris, which is the roadway along the Mediterranean, crossing the desert and going over into Babylon. On the way, he stops by Jerusalem, sees a religiosity he's never seen before. They're worshiping in a temple. They're sacrificing animals. He doesn't all understand all of this. So he takes four young men from the royal family, Daniel and Ahasuerus and Mishael, and he takes them into the Babylonian captivity. He's going to train them into being one or two or three or four of his wise men. It's a council of advisors who gives Daniel Uh, excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar, the advice that he needs to have in making decisions. Daniel 
And the three Hebrew buddies of his are going to be a part of that. But you'll remember in chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel says, we have purposed in our heart to do right. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to eat from the king's table. We're not going to drink the king's wine. That food is not kosher. In essence, the word kosher is not there, but that's what he's talking about. He's going to follow the dietary rules that were given to him in the book of Deuteronomy. And so he purposes in his heart to do right, and God blesses that, makes both all four of these young men ten times uh, better looking, ten times more knowledgeable than the ones that were in the training class with them. When you go to chapter 3, uh, Daniel's not on the scene in chapter 3. The three Hebrew buddies are told that they must bow uh, before this image of the beast that was talked about in chapter 2. And if you don't bow, you're going to burn. They said, we're not going to bow, and I don't think we're going to burn. And as you study chapter 2, you said, if we're thrown in, he said, our God is capable of taking care of us. And if he doesn't, but if he doesn't take care of us, we're still not going to bow. Throw us into the fire. Somebody will take care of us. And of course, the Lord himself appeared to take care of them then in the fire. And it was interesting to me, when you study chapter 3, you'll see that they had on long coats, they had on pants, they had socks, they had hats on, and there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothing after they were thrown into the fire. In fact, the only thing that burned when they were in the fire was the rope that they used to tie their hands behind them. And so it's amazing how practical and what precious, precious truths there in chapter 3. Chapter 4, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was a man who thought the world revolved around him. He had an ego that you would not believe. He was an egomaniac of the first degree. And he said, everything that I have done, the Lord uh, gave him a vision And Daniel had to interpret it again, and ultimately he was saying, you're going to be like a dog crawling around on your hands and knees. Your hair is going to grow long, your fingernails will grow long, the rain will cause your hair to mat like feathers of a bird, and you're going to be that way for seven years until you realize it's not you, it's him. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes out and praises the Most High God, one of the key names for God in the book of Daniel, used five times in Daniel. The Most High God. Look up those sections and read about the Most High God. That's chapter 4. Chapter 6 is another practical passage. It's after the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Persians have defeated the Babylonians, chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. Daniel goes in now under the Medes and Persians and their leadership, and he is made the ruler of the governors of Babylon. There are other governors that are going to be under him. They don't like his control over them. They're Gentiles. What's this Jewish boy from Jerusalem telling us what to do for? And so they plot to get Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And of course, Daniel's custom was to pray three times daily, looking towards Jerusalem. He'd go to the window of his room, look out towards Jerusalem, and pray towards the holy mountain of God, the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. That was his custom, and he didn't vary that custom just because there was a decree that went out that you don't pray to anybody except the leader of the Medes and the Persians. Well, he was thrown in the lion's den, and indeed those who threw him in the lion's den fell into the lion's den, and they were all eaten up. Uh, Their women, uh, the men that threw him in, their wives and their children, etc. Daniel comes out the better and continues to be a leader among the leaders of the world. You remember now, the Babylonian Empire controlled the entire world. That was 
the government, the human government of the world. The Medes and the Persians control the entire world. And so Daniel was at that echelon as far as his leadership is concerned. And so those four chapters, chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 6, are very practical passages. This prophetic book of Daniel is, as we've studied today, a very practical book as well. In chapters 1, 3, 4, and 6, we see how the Lord teaches us some very important practical lessons. You might want to go back and study these four chapters again to learn these practical truths. That would be chapters 1, 3, 4, and 6. As we continue our study of Daniel next week, we'll look at the prophetic passages that deal with the Gentile people down through history from Daniel's day some 2,500 years ago up until today. Next week, we'll look at the times of the Gentiles. It's the time that we're living in today. You don't want to miss that study. Please be sure to join us. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We have to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Iran trades missile fire with neighboring Pakistan. Iran said its airstrikes destroyed terrorist strongholds in Balochistan province on Tuesday. Pakistan then fired rockets and drones at ethnic militants in Iran on Thursday, killing at least nine people, four of them kids. FMI church planters and partners are being affected throughout the region. Some can't reach congregations because the borders are closed. Pray for the church to be an instrument of peace in conflict areas. And you're invited to join Door International in celebrating 40 years of gospel ministry among the deaf. Rob Myers with Door says it all began in 1984 with a young woman who believed that every person in God's kingdom has gifts and should be given training to reach others for Christ. Follow Door on social media to join in an online or in-person celebration of God's faithfulness this year. Find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Started out the program today talking about the expressions in Scripture that point to the end times. Sometimes they're referred to as the latter days, the last times, the last day, or the last hour. The various expressions are all related to the creative, redemptive program of God. 
And really, in our Legacy Series, we talked about God's plan for the ages. And uh, Rick, as we study through this, there are four really major time periods in Scripture that refer or are descriptive titles of the last days. There are, Jimmy, and as we look at it, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that time when Jesus Christ was manifest to these end times, that's the first period that is described as the last days. Yes, Peter claimed that Jesus Christ was manifested in these last times to die for the sins of the world. This statement corresponds to the fullness of times mentioned in Galatians 4.4. Jesus Christ came forth in the fullness of time. And it's a similar concept that God has in these last days spoken of to us by his son in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. Jimmy, the second part that we look at is the last days of Israel. And of course, looking at the nation of Israel and their return to prominence in the world, the, in 1948, the, uh, the reemergence of the state of Israel and the people, the Jewish people coming back to the land, that is certainly some thing we look at. But the last days of Israel or the final days before the, the new covenant, God's program for Israel is another area that we look at. Yes, God's program for Israel began with his covenant promise to Abraham that he would make out of a patriarch a great nation. Uh, You know, on the program today, our good friend Jack, our Navy SEAL, mentioned this as he taught through this. For the next 2,000 years, God worked out his creative, redemptive program in and through the people of Israel. That phrase ended with the death of resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ into the heavenlies in Acts chapter 1. In the last days of Israel, the nation will experience unprecedented distress, trouble, or tribulation, trials, the time of Jacob's trial occurring during the predicted 70th week of Daniel. And there's going to be an invasion from the north, a confederation of armies. That's the alignment of nations that we talk about that will be destroyed directly by God. Rick, we talked about that World War III. I mean, this really could be the time that we look at beginning in these last days. And it really is God will protect the Jewish people. Romans chapter 11 They will enter into full blessing in the new covenant during the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year period in the future. So the kingdom of God ruled by Jesus Christ on the throne of David in Jerusalem will be established with Israel as the dominant nation. Israel will thus experience the total fulfillment of all the divine unconditional covenants, the Abrahamic, the land, the Davidic, and the new covenant. Deuteronomy 4, verse 30. The blessings of Jacob upon his 12 sons will thus be finalized. Jimmy, as we continue to look at this situation, we look at the last days of the Gentiles, and we've always taught the the three major strands of the human race, the Gentiles, the Jews, and the Christians. Well, we look at the last days of the Gentile world dominion, and we see that these times are upon us. Can you talk a little bit about the last days of the Gentile world dominion? This time period called the times of the Gentiles. Any time that the Gentile world is in control of the Jewish people or the city of Jerusalem. Jesus referred to it in Luke chapter 21. And it began with the destruction of the Jewish kingdom by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel begins, that book is written from Babylon. 
Ezekiel is a book that's written from Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar in 586 and essentially involves the dominion of the Gentile nations over the world and over Israel from the destruction of the ancient Jewish kingdom to its reestablishment when Jesus Christ returns to the earth. The Battle of Armageddon, we've so often referred to it on this program, will end Gentile rule forever and will usher in the millennial kingdom and the eternal reign of Christ. Daniel chapter 2, Revelation chapter 16. Jimmy, we look at the, the last days of the Gentiles, as you talked about it there, and then we also talked about Israel, the nation of Israel, and we certainly focus on the nation of Israel because it's almost like it's God's timepiece and it gives us a, a place to focus on as we look to determine where we are in God's plan for through the ages and for, for what's going to take place. But we are now in the church age, Jimmy, and the, we are in the last days of the church age. Yes, the apostles warned that the last days of the church would be marked by doctrinal apostasy. Paul referred to that in the book of Timothy. Peter talked about it. It's written in the book of Jude. Moral deterioration, James. Again, Peter referred to it. You know, these men were referring to the early church, but we are living in it in this time period. The rise of many antichrists. John mentioned that in the book of 1 John chapter 2. The apostles also warned their readers that the features of the last days were present in their own day. Thus, the last days for the church age were as imminent as the rapture itself. Whenever the rapture occurs, the climax of personal salvation will happen and the church age will end. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. We are living in those days, Rick. And those days began when the church began, and we're living in them today. You know, as we focus on these events on this program, we do see, uh, and we examine it in, in, in light of God's prophetic word, we do see that we need to be living a pure, productive, holy life. We certainly do, Jimmy, and that's the focus of this program as we focus on events that are taking place around the world, which place us where God has us in this timepiece, in this place in history, and that is what we should motivate us, as you said, to live a pure, productive, and holy life. Yeah, and uh, we should be watchmen on the wall. A sword in one hand, not a physical sword, but the word of God in one hand, and a shofar shouting and blowing it for all the world to see to prepare those around us, our families, our churches, our communities, everyone that we are living, expecting the rapture to take place at any moment. Thanks again, Rick. We'll talk to you next week. But folks, after everything that we've heard about today, it, we can't help but know that the rapture of the church is right around the corner, even in the next moment. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.